Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Ball loose. Stevenson for three. Give me one, Lance. Stevenson ties it with 1.6. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. Halliburton at the buzzer. Captain Kutch with another one. Brogdon goes inside and Turner finishes. Halliburton leaves it off for Batase. Go, go. Good job. Oh, what a move by Heald. He lays it in. Heald. Hotter than fish grease. Dropped it off to Jalen Smith with the poster. Jackson the catch. Jackson the basket. Washington again. Five of them. Pacers got the steal. Outrunning his Brissett. Outs it all. It's it to Taylor. Taylor missed it. Tips it in. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. Halliburton going to slam it at the other end. What's going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome to the Mailbag Podcast Part 1. We have 29 questions today to get into, but before we do that, i got to bring on the hungry one, the man who is about to get married this week, Michael J. Fachi. Fachi, what's going on, brother? Absolutely. Yes, guys. I was just telling Alex offline. I am starving at the moment, but <laughs> you know what I'm also starving for? Some more Pacer content. All right. I'm actually going to be in the building when we're recording this uh, for Pacers versus Wizards. Couldn't be more excited. You know, a nice, nice pregame for the game is talking, you know, about this team, you know, answering your guys' questions. So couldn't be more excited today. Yeah, it is around 2, 22, 30 here in, in Indianapolis. So Eastern uh, Standard Time, 220-ish here. Fachi's going to the game at 6 o'clock, so we have got to hurry and get him out of here. Um, but we won't hurry too fast because we want to answer these questions. But let's get to it. Our first question from Reddit. These are not in any particular order. So from Reddit, Max Stevens 54 he said, Opinions on Malcolm Brogdon and Buddy's future with the team if Jaden Ivey is selected with the Pacers' first-round draft pick, followed by the same question, but with Boncaro or another forward being selected. Uh, look, I would say... You know, if the Pacers select Ivy, I feel like the writing has got to be on the wall that Brogdon's got to go. It's going to be hard to find Brogdon enough minutes that wouldn't be, like, disrespectful, but you would have to be looking to develop Halliburton and Jaden Ivy. Buddy Heald, I feel like his his contract, I mean, he's only playing better and better. I know he struggled a little bit last game. One of ten. <laughs> yeah, that was tough to watch. But he he's growing as a distributor. He's growing as a shot creator for himself. Um, I, I think that Buddy could be moved, but I also wouldn't be surprised if Buddy's on that opening day roster. Uh, in terms of if they take Boncaro, uh, in terms of maybe which players are, are you looking at? Are you talking about maybe if Malcolm could be moved? I think if you draft Boncaro, then I think that it could be a little bit more uh, you know, likely that Malcolm stays for a bit. For Buddy, you know, look, he could play the two, he could play the three, he could play multiple positions. So, uh, you know, I think if Jaden Ivey is selected, the Pacers have to move on from Brogdon no matter what. Yeah, so I just got to ask you real quick, Fachi. Do you think it's any coincidence that Buddy Hill shoots one attempt from three after you had him as the fifth highest Pacer 
on your most important to the future? Gotta be. He must have really just, you know, found a way to be like, yeah, you know, just when you got a little too high on me, I'm going to knock you back down to reality. (laughs) Bocce curse, man. Look what happened to Goga after you went on and on about Goga for like two weeks. How he is the. Some people might thank me for that because we're shipping (laughs) him out of town now. Whatever way you want to spin it to make yourself feel better, I'm all for it. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I agree with you. There's no doubt in my mind that if you draft Jaden Ivey, you got to move on from at least one of the two of Malcolm and Buddy. Probably Malcolm just because Buddy is still one of those guys, while he's making good money, you can say, hey, we're going to put you to the bench. There's no way you tell yep. Malcolm Brogdon you're putting him on the bench. And, you know, with Boncaro, really, I, I don't think that it would make too much of a, a difference for me on how they handle the Brogdon situation. I think that Duarte – it's still the long-term answer here if Ivy is not selected at the two next to uh, Tyrese Halliburton. So I just find it very interesting. I've been keeping track of it. I'm sure you've uh, seen some of my tweets, Fachi, but I've just been keeping track of what's happening late in games. And I think out of the six possessions the Pacers had in the final two minutes offensively, Brogdon initiated four of the six. The other two that Halliburton pretty much initiated, he uh, took two three-point shots and one was at the very end of the game when they were down five. So pretty much not important. So to me, it's like, I feel like Brogdon is not a long-term part of this team moving forward, regardless of whether Ivy is selected or not. I completely agree. And look, I just want to live and die and let Halliburton be able to make those mistakes. You know, it's fine. Make those mistakes, grow as a player, you know, be in that situation at the end of the game. We're not gaining that much by having Brogdon have the ball in his hands that much. Um, But, you know, that remains to be seen. But uh, next question just Dan 94 on Reddit said, should the Pacers try to package their Cavs and Rockets picks in a trade to move up for a second lottery pick? If so, who do you think they should target with that second late lottery pick? Yeah, this is a tough one here. I'm not really sure what that pick would get them. I don't know how late in the lottery that have to be like, maybe you're talking 13 or 14 in that range. It's possible. Um, if they could do that, I don't know if they would be able to do it, but you know, um, the Cavs pick keeps getting better and better for the Pacers, so I could see it potentially happening. But, you know, we've thrown out the name Nikola Jovic a lot. I'll try to do a different name here. Um, I brought him up at the beginning of the year. We've talked about him off and on a little bit, but Patrick Baldwin Jr. is a name that continues to slide. And I think if you're going to take a gamble on at least one prospect, that might be a guy worth taking a gamble on just because I think you talked about this on the Saturday show, Fox. Yep. You just – his whole situation with going to the wrong school, not picking the right environment for him could really hurt his stock. So if you're really high on him and think that there's potential there, then, then that's somebody. But and, and another guy I like is Ty Ty Washington. Uh, I think he's in that same range. And then um, who? what's the what's the forward's name from um, Baylor? I always I always forget his name. But, um, Jeremy Sohan? Yeah, maybe they, they, they have a few of them. Um, I'm thinking of Kendall Brown. Is he not? Yes, a, yeah. Is he at Auburn or Baylor? Uh, no, he's at Baylor. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, Kendall Brown. Sorry, I was just having a brain fart. I think he's someone else that's also very intriguing just because of his intangibles and his size. Um, you know, he's um, been kind of all over the place on on different big boards. So uh, haven't watched a ton of his game, but I know the Pacers were there to scout him. Thanks to our friend Richard Stamen from Mavs Draft, who let me know that he was in the building. Uh, the Pacers scouts were in the building when he was playing. So I think that's someone to keep an eye on as well if they were to move up. Yeah, I mean, look, it, he, your boy Jovic is growing on me. Um, but here's the thing. 
If the, I think the Pacers have to package that 19th. And at this point, that Rockets pick is currently slated for 31st overall. Mm. So both the Rockets pick and the Cavs pick has gotten better since we've acquired them. Um, I think that the Pacers would be looking at drafting too many players if they were to use all of their picks. They have four picks, the 60th overall pick, not one that's appealing. But I think that you should try and package up 19 and 31 and, and move up to where you can. Like you mentioned, back end of the lottery, maybe 14, 15, right over there. But also, if you were to attach a contract to it, it could become far more appealing. Maybe you can move up even more. So if, if there's a lot of good two guards in this draft. So if the Pacers are to select Jaden Ivey, you know, fourth, fifth overall, depending on where they pick, then at that point, I want to go for another position. A guy like Jovic, who could play the three, the four, I, I feel like that's far more appealing. Also fits the timeline of a team that's looking to grow together in a rebuild, a retool, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and that's why, like, too, if you – let's just say you got the fifth pick or the fourth pick, you got Boncaro or potentially A.J. Griffin, one of the wings. That's why I could see Tete Washington being a name to keep an eye on as well, just because I really like his, his game, and I think that, you know, he's had a weird season this year for Kentucky – but I, I see the potential in him, and I really like what he can do. But um, let's move on to our next question. I don't think fans are going to like this one, but it's from Earth Shady. He said, hypothetical question. If the team were to be sold and relocated, uh, and for some reason we got um, you guys got to make a case for somewhere, uh, what would your case be? So <laughs> where would you want this team to be relocated, Fachi, if they were somehow going to be relocated? New York. No, I'm just kidding. Look, um, look. I, <laughs> wow. I think there's no way. Uh, um, I'm just saying. I think that if any, t- if anyone's going to get a team, it's got to be Seattle. Seattle has a passionate fan base. They were robbed of the Sonics when they moved to OKC. I just feel like the next NBA team that, that comes is going to be part of Seattle. I've also heard like Vegas could be in there. We can't stick the Pacers in Vegas. All right. It's just no. Um, so I- I'm I'm going with Seattle. All right, well, I'm going to go a little bit different here. I'm going to go with Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. That way it's still a driving distance for right, Pacer like fans. Respect it. Yeah, and it's not too far away. And let's just say for some reason, you know, Indianapolis, like, I mean, just can't do this anymore. I don't think that's the case. I think once this team gets back on track, fans will start showing up again. It's just been a long time coming, almost 10 years, really, since they were in the Eastern Conference Finals. So just, just one and out playoff series and just not really competitive. I understand why fans are – ready to see some changes and hopefully that happens within the next year or two. But yeah, um, I would just say, I would just say Louisville, somewhere like that. I thought about St. Louis just because that used to be, a, you know, an iconic St. Louis Hawks team back in the day. Um, that's not too far from Indianapolis and I'm a Cardinals fan. So to give me a great reason to go over to St. Louis more, but uh, I just think Louisville is a little bit closer, but I hate this question. Pachi. No, I definitely agree with you. And you made a great point in terms of the driving distance. Since I personally can't drive to Pacer games, I've always just watched them. So I didn't get to put myself in the exact shoes that you're in. So keeping them in place like Kentucky or, you know, Missouri, stuff like that, it yeah. definitely makes more sense. I was just going to say, I'm surprised you didn't say Washington, D.C. area, because like, or Virginia, because you're like, hey, that's right in my backyard now. I can get all these games. But uh, selfishly, it'd be great for me, but yeah. nobody cares about the wizards out here no one <laughs> the wizards <laughs> yeah next question we have Lottie Dottie coming over from instagram he said since we have two first round picks do you really think we can end up in the top five of the draft i'm one of the people who thinks that the lottery is rigged and with kp being a genius we would be able to draft who we want and trade off cleveland's pick for a good player and maybe even a pick as well that sounds too good to be true and we'll most likely have to trade both picks to get into the top five 
I mean, that's a good, that's a, I mean, it depends on where we land, right? Currently we're, we're slated to pick fifth before the lottery. We have the fifth best odds of getting into the top four, um, you know, whatever. I mean, it's, it's a tough spot to be in. Don't get me wrong. And the lottery could be rigged to a certain degree. I don't think it is, but um, I think back when they first did it with the envelopes, I definitely buy that conspiracy that the envelope was frozen. But with that being said, the Pacers got the number two pick in that draft and they just missed. So, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, I think the Pacers have a chance here to get into the top five, but um, they might have to trade. I don't, I don't think if, if they're, if they get around pick six, pick seven, I don't think they're going to package pick 19 and pick seven to move up just to pick five. So uh, if they do anything, they're trying to get into that top four. And, and that's where I think it really, you know, makes a big difference is getting into the top four. I don't think it really matters about, you know, five to six to seven, because that whole range there is very debatable. Yeah. Look, I mean, here's the thing. How getting like pick seven in this draft, I don't want to call it devastating, but it would be a massive blow to the Pacers. I, I think, you know, we could be wrong. Maybe, maybe they're not as interested in a Jaden Ivy as we are, but it definitely feels like the Pacers have in mind a player that they're really interested in, in that top five. And look, yes, you brought up a great point. Like, obviously, everybody remembers when the Knicks got Patrick Ewing with that believed to be frozen envelope. Or we've seen the Cleveland Cavaliers, what feels like either win the lottery or jump up every few years. Well, one of these days, it's it's got to be us. We're owed some luck. And I hope that this is the year that we're cashing it in. So yeah. I hope the Pacers are picking, you know, fourth, fifth overall. And, and I think if they're able to get that pick, then it changes things. But I'm with you. I don't want to end up moving to seven and then have to package like, you know, three picks to move up to five when we probably already missed out on the guy that we want. Because once you get outside of that top five, I don't want to say everybody's the same, but there, there's a drop off from all-star superstar to, you know, a bunch of pretty good promising players. Yeah. I mean, if you really think the lottery is rigged, then you would have thought the Knicks would have won the NBA lottery the year Zion came out instead yeah. they got third. Um, you can go back and even say the same thing for the Warriors not winning it just two years ago when Minnesota beat them and Anthony Edwards went to the Timberwolves. So I don't I don't think it's rigged, but I do think that it does help when smaller markets are in desperate need of teams, kind of like the Pelicans, to get a guy like Zion. But that whole situation has been uh, 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 just a very chaotic moment. <laughs> there, uh, I, That whole Zion experience has just not been fun for the Pelicans and their fan base. But um, let's move on to our next question. This comes from at Jeff Punnybone, Jeff Dunham, he said, please go through the list of all the draft picks we have in this year's draft one by one. It gets confusing. All right. So currently, as it's slated, because it is subject to change, the Pacers would be picking fifth overall, 19th, 31st, and snagging Mr. Relevant at pick 60 right now. So four picks in the draft, way too many for the Pacers, but we got ammunition for days. Yeah, so... Um, instead of going placement, I'll just do a little bit more like detail if you want that, Jeff. The Indiana Pacers own their first round draft pick right now. They also own the Cleveland Cavaliers first round draft pick of this year. In the second round, they have no second round picks that they personally own. However, they did acquire the Houston Rockets second round draft pick and the Phoenix Suns second round draft pick during the trade deadline. So like Fachi said, there are four overall picks, but we got them via trade. We got three of them via trade. The only one that we currently own for this year 
for the Pacers is that one that's slated to be fifth, the fifth pick overall. So um, it's a little bit confusing because I think even ESPN on their mock draft had some stuff messed up where they did not have our Miami Heat pick that we owned going to the Cavaliers, which was involved in that Karis LeVert trade. So um, we do not have any other second round picks besides the Rockets pick. And then that last pick, which is, uh, which belongs to the Suns, the Suns that we acquired in the Jalen Smith tree. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. You want a next question we have Ty Romine said, uh, since we're in the road to WrestleMania, who are your WWE comparisons for this Pacers roster? Okay. I ended up doing all 16 guys. Fachi. What, how many did you do? I got five. Okay, how about you do your five and I'll we'll go back and forth with the same five you have and then I'll just share my last 11. All right, all right. So I got starting, I went with Goga. Look, if we're going with Goga, I got to go with the big show. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is someone where, you know, he's, he's hard to move. He's clumsy. He's slow. And he can throw his weight around here. You can even ask Jalen Brown, who got body checked the other week. So um, I'm going with Goga first. Okay, I went with the great Kali. <laughs> okay, I like it a lot. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like the Big Show had a little bit of a better run oh, in de- WWE. Oh, definitely. I lean Kali over Big Show. That, yeah. That's a good point by you. And a very clumsy guy, huge guy, but just never was really, like, entertaining whatsoever. Probably one of his most uh, impressive highlight moments would have been when he kissed Beth Phoenix, <laughs> you know, yeah, in yeah. one of those, like, kiss camp things. So it's like, okay, you know, whatever. It's just... Uh, the great Kali is an interesting guy, but, uh, you know, that's that's my comparison for Goga. Let's go to the next one. I'm going to go uh, – this one's a little bit unique, but uh, for Brogdon, I'm going with Seth Rollins because he's been what? a good guy. Oh, he's been no. a bad guy. But, you know, babyface or heel, as they say in wrestling. But whether you like Brogdon or you hate him, you got to respect him because he is a really good player. And Seth Rollins is undoubtedly a really good wrestler. Oh, man, I feel like you're just uh, – this is going to – kill some thunder to who I had at Seth Rollins, but uh, I, went, I went with uh, MVP from Malcolm Brockton. <laughs> um, well, here's why. He was a USA champion at one point. He was a good wrestler, but he's had injuries, and now, what is he? He's a he's a manager of Bobby yeah. Lashley, right? Yep. And that's kind of what Brogdon is to be. He's kind of like that presidential figure. So, while he might be one of the more talented players on the Pacers roster, it doesn't mean that he's a top tier WWE superstar. Like, come on now. So uh, I felt like with just like how Brogdon is kind of smug and kind of like he got some swag to him, good talker. I felt like MVP made a lot of sense. All right. All right. Well, it's interesting that you uh, you mentioned Bobby Lashley because I actually had for Isaiah Jackson. I'm going with he could grow into a Bobby Lashley, <laughs> an athletic freak over here. Bobby Lashley was a guy that actually had a pretty solid MMA career. So he was just more than just a wrestler. He was a great wrestler. And I think that Isaiah Jackson has a freakish ability that he's going to continue to get stronger, put on more size, be able to catch more lobs, block more shots. So I could see him growing into a Bobby Lashley-esque player. Yeah, so I I went with the same thing for athleticism, but I went with Kofi Kingston Oh, for Isaiah Jackson, I because Kofi's a high flyer, man, oh, yeah, and absolutely. Isaiah Jackson is always jumping out of the gym like a poker. Oh, I get it. So I had to go with Kofi here. Plus, they kind of have similar hair. Yeah, yeah, de- definitely. I, I see you on that part. Uh, um, I would say, let's see. Okay, yeah. For my next one, uh, could be a little bit of a slap in the face, borderline disrespectful. But uh, for for Kiefer Sykes, uh, unfortunately, I'm going with Rey Mysterio Jr. Boo. No, look, 
Ray, I don't want to drag you down because he used to be my favorite wrestler, but you take one look at Keeper Sykes and you're like, oh man, this man is smaller than small and I'm going to have to go Rey Mysterio in this situation. Man, that I, you know, Rey Mysterio is the shortest like famous wrestler probably yep. of all time. Uh, so I couldn't give Keeper Sykes that praise, unfortunately. Um, I don't think they're nearly as athletic either. So uh, mine's probably more disrespectful to Kiefer Sykes than anything. I uh, went with Hornswoggle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the alleged son of Vince McMahon, right? So, yep. <laughs> you know, uh, Hornswoggle was a little midget that would basically just like the leprechaun that would bite ankles and just kind of show up randomly. He was with Finley for a while there. He'd hide underneath the uh, the ring and pop up out of nowhere. And that's kind of what I feel like with Kiefer Sykes, Fachi. I feel like he's like out of sight, out of mind. And all of a sudden, oh, he's in the game now. Okay, uh, what happened to his minutes? You know, not very many. You know, you might you saw him for a little bit this year. There's a little short storyline about him. That's kind of what Hornswoggle has been. Um, but never really a true WWE superstar that was like a headliner for uh, any of their programming. I think that that's uh, you know far more on point. And Rey Mysterio, I hope you're not listening right now. Um, you know, my apologies. Uh, lastly, I would say uh, for Lance Stevenson, you know, a guy that you know gets the fans hyped. Uh, I'm going with uh, Matt Riddle. They call him Riddle now in wrestling. Mm. He is, you know, his 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 shtick is that he's like the ultimate bro. Not that Lance Stevenson is a bro, but this, these are two guys that you know. No offense, Lance, but. Maybe they're both not the brightest, but they are absolute fan favorites, very talented, and, you know, that's kind of the comparison I see. Okay, well, uh, I haven't watched wrestling in a while, so I don't know any of the new guys, so I've never heard that name before, so I apologize. Um, I went with a guy that's still on the roster, but is a little bit older. I went with R-Truth, okay? Oh, wow, yeah. R-Truth is a hype man. That always makes you laugh. Now, he's really dumb. So, like, his character is very dumb. I don't think Lance is very dumb. Uh, so, I actually did R-Truth mixed with Elias because Elias plays guitar, and that's what Lance does on the court. <laughs> yeah, so, I was true. like, you know, I got to do something here uh, for, for Lance. But I just feel like, you know, R-Truth singing with the crowd, people over there, what's up? I could see Lance doing that and just getting completely jacked for it. But uh, did you have anybody else? No, that's all I got. But I want to say on the R Truth one, that's a good one because R Truth did put out, you know, rap songs or rap album. And we obviously know Lance, you know, took a stab at it, you know, to put it like nicely. A couple of the songs I, I like, but, you know, I, I like the comparison there. Okay. Well, I'll just run through these real quick. So I, I did do Ricky Rubio. I went with Damian Sandow. Uh, for Dwayne Washington Jr., this is strictly just a look thing with the fro. I went with Carlito. Okay, uh, I can definitely see with the fro. For sure. Yes, not at the talent level, but definitely with the fro. Uh, this was probably the hardest one for me was Buddy Heald. I did Apollo Cruz. You know, I just, I, you know, fine. You know, not <laughs> it's a tough. It's like I, I was like my one for Buddy. It was yeah, tough. Uh, I, for TJ McConnell, I went with Bo Dallas. All you have to do is Bo leave. Uh, wow. Just a, you know, just a cringe guy, but uh, you know he's good at some stuff, but just not a lot. Uh, for Terry Taylor, this is another look one. I went with Xavier Woods when he has the fro. Hmm. Uh, when Terry right. Taylor has the fro. Uh, for O'Shea Brissett, I went with Shelton Benjamin. Because I feel like Shelton was a young star that kind of like broke out early on in his career. And O'Shea is kind of doing that now with the Pacers. Uh, for Jalen Smith, I'm surprised you didn't do this one. You got to go back to when the TLC matches were awesome. And that's the Dudley brothers. I went with Devon Dudley because <laughs> of the goggles. Uh, yep, yep, yep. Okay. I like it. <laughs> so the next one is TJ Warren. 
Now, this was a really hard one, too, but I actually went with Jeff Hardy, and you might be like, what? Well, I definitely am like, what? <laughs> okay, so who was probably never one, of, expected who that. one of the most injury-prone WWE wrestlers of all time? Jeff Hardy. Uh, Jeff yeah. Hardy is always hurt, but he can do singles matches. He can do he can do tag team matches. He can do pretty much any match you want him to do, and I feel like TJ Warren, when he's healthy, is the only player on this team that can play multiple positions and do multiple different things in terms on both offense and defense. So that was that one. Uh, okay, so I'm going to skip Duarte. I'm going to save him for one of the ends. I'm going to go to Miles Turner now. Uh, <laughs> you might not even remember this wrestler, so I'll have to ask you if you do. You remember a guy by the name of Tyler Breeze? Oh, of course, of course. Tyler Breeze, he had a tag team with Fandango. Uh, yes. You know, I, I know all about him. Okay, so tell the people a little bit about Tyler Breeze and what he used to do all the time. Tyler Breeze was always taking kind of like selfies and really was all about like his looks and stuff like that. So that okay. was uh, that was his gimmick. Okay, so is that fair to say? Because Miles Turner, his fashion choices this year have all been about, uh, you know, let me get on the camera, let me show off my fashion. And that's kind of what Tyler Breeze was. He was very much uh, self-absorbed to a certain yeah, extent, yeah. you know, and I'm not saying Turner is totally self-absorbed, but, uh, you know, he's definitely not been hiding anything in terms of what he's wearing. And so then... Uh, for Chris Duarte, uh, I have two left. Chris Duarte, Tyrese Halliburton. I went with Dean Ambrose. Uh, I was looking at some of the best factions. Obviously, the Shield is one of the best factions of all time. Dean Ambrose is probably number three in that group, I would think, in the pecking order for who's been the most relevant to WWE between Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns. And so this is why I have Seth Rollins as Tyrese Halliburton. Because he's a face now. Everybody loves him. Even people liked him when he was a heel. Like, he was so annoying that you hated him so much. But, like, he played the role perfectly. Um, and I think he's being somewhat of a heel to Sacramento at this point. So, you know, I, I think that, for me, is where I have uh, those two guys. And then, just for potential stuff, whoever this first-round draft pick is, if it's top four, they're going to be my Roman Reigns just to complete the faction. But other than that, that was my list, Fachi. It took me, like, probably 30 minutes to come up with it. I was going to say, your, your, <laughs> your, like, um, your comparisons were very, you know, they were spot on. They took a lot more time than, than mine yes. likely did, but you had some good ones. So sure. anyway, I'll get off that. But Ty, thanks so much for uh, sending that one in. That was fun to go down memory lane. Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and finish the rest of these questions on this one. All right, our next question comes from Jason at jreggie31. He said, doesn't keeping Turner mean back to double bigs or will Isaiah not start next year if Turner stays? Yeah, look, if we do keep Turner, then I would imagine it would be, you know, trying Isaiah at the four with Turner at the five and back to a double big lineup, which is hard to really get thrilled about. Because, like, look, I want to see, uh, you know, Isaiah and Turner play together in a larger sample size. But to go from one double big, which, you know, no offense, we just traded a two-time all-star, to then, you know, doing a double big but one guy not as proven – it doesn't really get me as excited as, you know, maybe I should be. So I don't think it's a guarantee that Isaiah starts next year. I, I do enjoy seeing him in the starting lineup and flourishing right now for the Pacers, but I'm really not thrilled about another double big lineup. Yeah, I mean, I want to see what they look like. If they play well together, that's all that matters to me because, look, Sabonis and Turner just were a weird fit because, it, it, you know, Sabonis offensively really needed the basketball in his hands to thrive to a certain extent. And defensively, you know, Turner was just – more of the rim protector. So Sabonis had to go out and guard players that were just a little bit too athletic for him, where I think Isaiah Jackson has that athleticism to be able to be a better defender in this style of play next to Turner. So I don't think it'll be nearly as bad fit-wise as Sabonis and Turner was, but I do think that ideally you would prefer to have more of a, a no-shaper set at the four 
and then probably bring Isaiah Jackson as in as your sixth man, which is not the end of the world. Actually, it's pretty good for him to get into that spot, play about 20 to 25 minutes a game and learn from miles because defensively miles has grown so much from when he was a rookie. So you can learn a lot there and then you can move forward um, with the future of the team. If that's the direction the Pacers decide to go. Yep. For next question, we have Aaron M uh, friend of the show. L- love the support, Aaron. Uh, he said in order for Halliburton to truly get the keys, do the Pacers have to trade Brogdon? I don't think so. I think that Halliburton already does have the keys to a certain extent, but at this point, Every time that there's a game that Brogdon plays in over the, since the All-Star break, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep sharing it on Twitter, the comments that Carlisle is making, but he is overpraising Brogdon to an extent that it's almost getting kind of weird uh, for me. I don't understand what he's doing, why he feels he needs to say everything that he's saying, but he's going out of his way to praise him, just like calling him the best player, calling him the best defender on this team. It just seems very odd. He's never done that before. So, um, you know, I'm not sure why, but at the same time, I will say this. Uh, this is all about giving Brogdon the opportunity to kind of showcase himself before they hit the offseason. So that's where I'm at with the Fachi. I don't know if you agree or disagree, but to me, I think moving forward, this team is Halliburton's. Brogdon's not going to get in the way of that. Yeah, look, this has to be Halliburton's team. I'm ready to give them the keys, the garage code, the passcode, whatever you want to call it. I know I wouldn't give those keys to Keeper Sykes in the third point guard job a while back, but when I look at Halliburton, this is a guy that needs the torch passed to him. So uh, I think that Carlisle's doing a great job saying the right things, getting Brogdon's value up. I definitely think that Brogdon's value has gone up since he's returned following the All-Star break, but it's just a thing of in order for Halliburton to truly reach that all-star level, I think that's got to be with Brogdon being elsewhere because as long as he's here, just like you mentioned, we can't move him to the bench. You're not going to be able to play Brogdon, say, you know, just 20 minutes. He's going to need like 30 minutes. And then also it's just, it's the inconsistencies in the lineup if Brogdon's out, in and out of it, if he's hurt, you know, waiting to come back. So I just think that the Pacers got to know that, hey, Hal Burton's the guy moving forward. Let's make it happen. All right, the next question here comes from another Aaron, but this is Aaron Grissel. He said, if the Hayward-Turner deal went through a couple off-seasons ago, where do you think this team is right now, both in roster construction and in record? Do you think we would have still moved better in assets at the deadline? It's a great question, honestly. Both Turner and Hayward have faced their fair share of injuries over the last two years, so it's hard to fully tell. But I do think if you had Gordon Hayward's four-year, $120 million contract, give or take, say you just got the same deal that Charlotte signed him to, I think it forces you to stay more competitive rather than go with a rebuild. I felt like in this situation for the Pacers, the contracts they moved were, you know, easier to move. Lavert right around $18 million, you know, Sabonis in that, like, $19 million mark. So I think if you had Hayward, I, I think that, you know, Hayward, Sabonis, Brogdon, I think there's enough to be staying in that play-in mediocre 500 level area where I think you would have kept it going. Uh, But I'm also happy that they didn't because now I think that we have more of uh, the potential to build something sustainable. Yeah. I think if you have Hayward on this team with Nate Bjorkman as the head coach, uh, the offense would have been awesome. I think Nate Nate Bjorkman probably is still the head coach of the Indiana Pacers right now. I think the Pacers probably make, um, I don't know if they make the play in, you know, tournament or get like a top eight seed. But I think they would have been a better spot to do that yeah, because, definitely. you know, especially with Turner being out for like, what was it, the final like 20 plus games last year, something like yeah. that. So he missed a lot of time. I think Hayward and Sabonis would have really clicked well together. 
I also think if you make this trade, there's no Chris Duarte, there's no Isaiah Jackson, Great point. and there's no Tyrese Halliburton or Buddy Heald. So, you know, hindsight 2020, maybe that deal in the short term would have gotten you, you know, a little bit more of a chance to be competitive. I think we probably would, would be in the play-in hunt right now if we were with Hayward instead of Turner, just because I feel like Hayward is a better offensive connector and that kind of thing. But overall, um, yeah, I, I don't think the trades would have happened if we had Hayward still, because we'd probably still be competing more for the playoffs than we are bottoming out. So I think best case scenario was, um, as hard as it is for me to say this, because you know I love Hayward, uh, is just riding it out the way it did to, to maybe get a little bit better by taking a few steps back. Yeah, I think we would still be sprinting on the treadmill of mediocrity of, you know, maybe being a 500 team, just kind of in the hunt. And when you mm -hmm. look at, there's so many teams that have no direction right now. I'm very happy that we have a full direction. So uh, it's it's been exciting, but we'll never know what would have happened. Uh, next question. We have Michael Florence on Twitter. He said, it looks like Brogdon finally has a coach. He can't run off, huh? If that's the case, great. If not, get rid of him. <laughs> Michael Florence coming in with the Brogdon shade. I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, Brogdon and Carlisle have connected since day one. They both went to Virginia together. I think there's definitely a connection there that they both both guys respect each other, both guys like each other. But let's let's just call a spade a spade because Brogdon's days are numbered here, and I think every fan can read the the tea leaves and see that them overutilizing him every time he's playing now. He seems to be playing more and more minutes. After returning from that hamstring injury, it was more so get him as healthy as possible before the All-Star break and then use these last 20 games to showcase him, show that he's healthy, show that he can be a leader, whatever. I mean, we're playing some crappy teams like we're playing the Magic, we're playing the Pistons, and we're losing these games, and Brogdon's out there putting up, you know, 30-plus minutes, you know. So let's just be honest here. Brogdon's a good player. I'm not trying to, you know, downplay that he's not a good player, but why is he needing to get praise for playing so well against a Detroit Pistons team when he, you know, basically was nine of 23 from the field and it took him 23 shots to get 27 points. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I mean, look, these are bottom feeder teams in the East. So, you know, it's really not that impressive. I think that Brogdon definitely does, you know, look better now that he's been rested, but at the same point, it's all got to be a strategy to, like I said, like we've talked about, get his value up come the off season. Yeah. We've heard that the Brogdon, you know, not to say coach killer, but unhappy with previous coaches. Uh, but in this situation, Carlisle feels Brogdon proof. All right. This organization, they have long ties and respect for Carlisle that, you know, you could, uh, you could see it in how much influence they're giving Carlisle uh, when it comes to the draft, when it comes to trades. So I think that, you know, uh, Carlisle is going to get his guys in here. And Brogdon was a guy that was already on the roster. It was extended while Carlisle was here, but I, I think that Carlisle knows he's probably not going to be uh, with the future of this team for, for long. Yeah, I agree with that. Let's move on. DJ Davis Law. He said, it appears the Pacers will end up with a fourth to sixth worst record in the NBA standings. That means we're more than likely going to finish one through nine in the lottery. Let's just throw this out here. Let's say the Pacers pick at two, they pick at five, or they pick at nine. Who do the Pacers pick and why? So three different scenarios here for you, Flash. Who do they take and pick at the second pick? It's pretty tough. So it goes without saying, you know, it's based on who goes number one. And right now there is no clear-cut number one pick. I feel like some mock drafts have Chet Holmgren, some have Jabari Smith. I feel like that's for the most part. Uh, the two of them every now and then you'll see, you know, Ben Caro in there. Um, so I'm going to go with in a situation that say Jabari Smith is the number one overall pick. 
Paulo Bancaro interests me more than Chet Holmgren. And, you know, maybe I'll end up being wrong there, but there's just something that I can't sell myself on Chet being a superstar. I feel like he could end up being a good player, but I think that Paolo can be more of like a, hey, wouldn't surprise me if this guy's an all-star. So I'll go with Paolo at, at number two if, you know, if he's there. If there's a scenario where we can get Jabari Smith number two, that's who I would like. Uh, then, then it comes down to number five. Can we get Jay Nivey? Is, is it possible over there? Or has I don't he already? So. I, that's what I'm saying. I think he's already gone by four. I don't see him going top three unless he really you know ups his stock. But when you're looking at five, Jay Nivey's probably gone. So now I feel like we're looking at Shaden Sharp or AJ Griffin. So right over there, a lot of questions with Shaden Sharp. Not really sure what to expect. AJ Griffin, there's some injury history there. So you're already getting like a lot of question marks over there. Pick nine, if he'll be there. Keegan Murray seems like a home run pick at nine, but he might be gone by seven. So it's, it's pretty tough. But if I would say long story short, second overall, uh, if Jabari Smith's gone, I want Paulo. If uh, Jay Nivey's gone at four, I want Shaden Sharp at five. And then if Keegan Murray's there at nine, we got to scoop him up. Okay. Fachi. Yeah. So I'm surprised you didn't say Jay Nivey. Are you souring a little bit on Jay Nivey with the number two pick? Is it too high for him at number two? Because I don't think it's too high. I, I, I mean, it depends on what you want. Well, I mean, look, I'm very interested over there, but uh, in everything that I'm going through, I mean, maybe he does take the rise. Maybe he does the John Morant where he goes number two, but in most mock drafts, I see him at three, four. Yeah, I agree. But I just, if you really want him though, oh, and, yeah. you, and you want to hit on him, do you think, you know, cause I think RJ Barrett at one point was ranked higher than John Morant before the draft, you know, before the actual days of the draft. So, you know, Jaden Ivey has a great tournament. Well, watch out, you know, he could be rising up the draft boards. I'm just, I'm just curious because, you know, for a long time, we've been talking about, we've been answering a lot of Jaden Ivey questions, and I know you've been intrigued by him, but yeah, mm-hmm. um, I'm right there with you. I think Paulo Boncaro is just a little bit more ready now. Yes. Like, you know, that six foot 10, 250 pound frame, it's just, and it really does fill a position in need. I don't think the Pacers should really focus too much on that, but there is a good case that he is better than Jaden Ivey. So um, I still think it's a toss up. I think that, um, you know, I'd, <laughs> I, I really want to see Ivy next to Halliburton because it's been so much talked about. Um, I had five for me, you know, I love AJ Griffin a lot. I've really see a lot of Jimmy Butler in his game. So I would be totally fine with that. I just worry about his health. Um, and if you're the Pacers and you get the fifth pick, you stay where you're at. Is it worth taking the risk on Sharp Vachi? Because I feel like you're not in this position. You're not in this position ever, but you know, it's it to me, it would make a lot of sense to take the risk on him because you're never usually in this position. That, that's the thing. You have to swing for the fences. Like, truly, it's like, hey, when are the Pacers going to pick top five again? I mean, it's been over 30 years since they picked in the top five. So I, I just feel like you got to go with who has superstar potential. And Shaden Sharp very well could. Maybe, maybe, maybe we're wrong in the end, but you got to swing for the fences. Yeah, and so then for me at nine, I think that I'm going to probably, you know, I like Johnny Davis. I've told you about the concerns I have with him and his, you know, just inconsistency from the three-point land. I think Benedict Matherin is more of a guy that would fit this Pacers mold here at nine if that's where the Pacers are selected to go, just because he's six foot seven. I think if you're worried about Duarte playing the three, I think Benedict Matherin can play that position as well. Um, you know, he's a guy that I'm intrigued by. I, I, I know that we've talked about him a little bit on here, but mm-hmm. not too, too much. Um, but like you said, I don't think Keegan Murray's there at, at I don't pick think so nine. Either. I think he's in Seven. that five to eight range. Yeah. Yep. So, um, all right, let's move on to the next question. 
All right. Next question we have coming up. Uh, we have uh, Jaws on Twitter. That's at Joshua Harwood 12 said thoughts on a trade with the Knicks to move up from the Cavs pick. Maybe something like Brogdon and the Cavs pick for Evan Fournier, Cam Reddish and the Knicks first. We could then maybe use that latest lotto pick to move up from our first into the top three. Yeah, I like your I like your thought process here, making moves to make more moves. But at the same time, I don't want anything to do with that Fournier contract. Um, and Cam Reddish, me and Fachi have been really excited about him. But even if you look at his numbers, they've not been terrific. And I just don't see, I just don't see the Pacers were apparently intrigued by Cam Reddish. I just don't think the Pacers are as intrigued as maybe we think they are in Cam Reddish because Rick Carlisle wants to win. And I just can't imagine uh, Rick Carlisle dealing with someone that could be a bit of a headache. And that's kind of what it feels like Cam Reddish could be. So, you know, if this is a path to move up in the draft, sure. But I, like I said before, I still think if they trade to move up in the draft, they're going to trade the 2023 first-round pick that they have next year to move up to a top-three pick in this year's draft. Yeah, no, definitely some good points there. I, I think the best-case scenario this works out, it feels like you know, it's a lot to trade. So basically, the Knicks, they're falling fast. They are. And that their first-round pick, if people don't realize it, it's actually slated to be eighth overall right now if everything worked out the way that it should I don't see the Knicks in, in, you know, looking to get off the eighth overall pick just to just to shed Fournier, you know, Cam Reddish and and get Brogdon in the 19th. Like they definitely have a need for Brogdon because the Knicks, if people don't realize it, have actually started a new point guard on opening night 10 years in a row. That's impressive to find a new point guard it's, for opening night. It's going to be 11, too. They ain't starting Kemba next year. Yeah, no, they're not. So that's the, the trend will continue. But if the Pacers were somehow to pull off that deal. Now, look, the fourth year for Evan Fournier is not guaranteed. So it's just two years left. But I also have no interest in that contract. Cam Reddish, I've soured on. You and I, we liked him. We did. But there's got to be a reason why he's barely playing in New York. And I know Tibbs is not about player development, and he definitely should be playing Cam Reddish more. But say everything worked out, and the Pacers get the fifth and the eighth overall pick. It feels like a lot to trade up to three at that point. You know, two picks inside the top eight. I mean, you tell me, that feels like too much after you've already taken on Fournier's deal. Mm-hmm. I, at that point, maybe I'm with you. I would rather trade the fifth and the 2023 pick and then keep that eighth overall pick at that point. Yeah, exactly. It's just one of those things where it's like, I just can't see the Pacers being as aggressive as we're talking here with all these trades. I think they'll be somewhat aggressive, but I don't think they're going to like package both 31 and 19, and, I, and that's not going to get them the eighth overall pick. Like you said, that's, no, a, that's no, a great no, no. point. They're back in the lottery. No, it'll be back in lottery, if anything, like 13, yep. 14. Like, I don't even know who owns those picks, but, like, let's just say, like, the Pelicans have one of them from the Lakers or something. They're just like, we really don't need a lot of young guys. You know, we'll use these as trade assets, uh, whatever. That's one way you could go about it. Um, but uh, not the Pelicans. I meant the, the Grizzlies, excuse me. But the Pelicans – uh, I think they're a team that could be interesting to trade with because they could want some of the players on our team to help improve their roster as they're trying to win and, and build around Zion. But um, yeah, that's a tough one. Let's take a quick break though, Fachi, and then we'll finish these last three questions on part one of the mailbag. All right. One of our next questions here comes from at L underscore Peckbo, our friend Matt Peck. He said, the center position has evolved over the years. People have at times declared the position obsolete. However, Many of the MVP candidates are centers this season. How do each of you envision the position going forward? Do the Pacers need a traditional big who can defend the post? 
Uh, Matt, my guy, I hope you're doing well. Uh, look, the center position does seem to be making a comeback. I feel like it's evolved a lot since the Roy Hibbert being a two-time All-Star days. And now we're looking at guys like Jokic and Bede who can truly do it all. Um, you know, I was wondering if we would ever go back to more of like a traditional big, but like it's really hard because I feel like that position is being demanded to like you need to be able to, you know, shoot. You got to have some sort of jumper. Can you facilitate also? Like we're seeing just more and more athletic big men. But in terms of what you're mentioning, more of a traditional center, I've looked at it and I found two in the draft. Mark Williams, center out of Duke, and Walker Kessler, center out of Auburn. Both, both seven-footers, one of them, I think Mark Williams is seven-one, uh, both like throwback bigs, rim protectors, not sure, you know, if their jump shot will, will come along. But in terms of like, if you are looking to take one at the Cavs pick, those guys should be there and they could be very beneficial because – Look at a guy like Jared Allen. Jared Allen was taken 22nd overall. There's no three-point shot to his game, mm -hmm. but he is a traditional big that was just named an all-star. He's rock solid in the post. There's going to be a need for a true seven-footer that can remain in the paint. I know, you know, Miles just under seven feet, but more of a, you know, more of a jump shooter compared to a traditional big. Yeah, I mean, and if you're looking at the MVP candidates, you're talking about two freaks, two unicorns, and Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid, like, these are not traditional centers. These are guys that can, there are three level scores. You know, I, obviously Jokic is a much better facilitator than Embiid, but Embiid has a no great job three, No, almost five assists per game. Yeah. But he's, I mean, Jokic is just special in that area. It's he just, is, he is. you know, and I, and I, I prefer watching Embiid play a little bit more than Jokic. I mean, uh, but I really enjoy watching both of them. You know, Jokic is not as athletic as Embiid, but, you know, Embiid, he's got the shot, so does Jokic. They're both able to score in the paint. They both have incredible feel for the game. Um, you know, I, I, obviously Jokic is the MVP from last year, so there's no knock on any of these guys. You know, looking at the position that we have now at center, like you put Miles Turner's assets with what we had in Sabonis, then you're talking about one of those unicorn-type centers. Oh, but, yeah you know, they were just both good at different things and weren't good enough to be that. So it's going to be tough. I think looking at potential guys that could be coming up uh, in the league that are even close to that. I mean, I don't even know. I mean, maybe Towns a little bit, uh, but he's not really yeah. considered a center all the way, but he's kind of a unicorn big man. Um, but defensively, he's not at the same level as those two guys. I think nah. he just taken a huge step forward. Bam Adebayo as well. Um, he's probably more on the defensive side than he is the offensive side of things in terms of, you know, being close to one of those guys. But you know, Jared Allen's a good comparison, Foch. I, I just, you know, offensively, he's got some good stuff in his bag. But like you said, not a great shooter at all. So um, I really don't want a back-to-back -back center, to be honest with you. I, I mean, No, it's not where the league's going. You know, it's just evolving. You know, and Sabonis kind of got labeled as a back-to-the-back -back center. I don't really think he is. He can do it, but he didn't do it a lot. A lot of his were face-ups and a lot of his were dribble handoffs and that kind of thing, just setting good screens, rolling, facilitating, that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a good question, Matt. But I think with the way the league is going – I think, you know, Turner makes a lot of sense if he can stay healthy, just being able to protect the rim. He's just got to be able to guard the bigger guys. But, you know, it's it's tough every night to go out there and guard a Jokic or guard a uh, guard an Embiid. But even Rudy Gobert, as good as he is, he's not a traditional center um, like that. So um, it's, a, it's a tough place to look at center position-wise because there's so many different unique center qualities. But I, I do like the upside that some of our guys on our bench have in, uh, in Jalen Smith and in Isaiah Jackson.
Absolutely. Look, if we could just keep Jalen Smith, I'd be like, hey, don't worry about the center position. I think we're good over here. But, you know, things get complicated. But uh, next question, we have Zachary Barnett on Twitter. He said, at this point, I think the chance of being able to keep Jalen Smith are low. But at the end of the season, if you had to choose between him and Miles Turner, who would you pick? This is a tough one. I mean, Jalen Smith, the sample size is so small that it doesn't really seem fair to pick him over Miles Turner at this point, even as much of a Miles Turner, you know, how much I've criticized Turner's game. So I think at this point right now, at the end of the season, I would still pick Miles Turner. Now, the only reason I would potentially say Jalen Smith is one, he's cheaper, he's younger, and it appears that he's got a better health, bill of health than Miles Turner. So he's got all three things, three things working for him. And with the Pacers, now this is, like I said, small sample size, light year better of a shooter than Turner too. So, you know, it's, um, you know, I think Turner defensively just has him, completely blown away there in that category so Jalen's gonna have to grow as an actual defender but you know rebounding wise Jalen's been pretty aggressive on the glass Fachi so you know I would still pick Turner out of respect but you know I, I think that it's a it's it's somewhat debatable considering that Jalen Smith is actually uh a Miles Turner was a player comp for Jalen Smith coming out uh, coming into the draft you checked a lot of the boxes for my answer because, Sorry, brother. You know, similar similar stuff but look it could be unpopular but I'm going with you know, if it was realistic and we could sign Jalen Smith, I'm going with Jalen Smith because I okay. feel like you could get Jalen Smith for like a maybe like a four-year, $32 million deal. You know, it's it's like close to basically double what he was making this year. So that averages out to roughly $8 million per year where Turner, he's going to want, you know, if it's the Pacers, probably a five-year deal. If not a four-year, you know, could be $100 million. You imagine the man wants a raise. But here's the thing. Are, are we sure that Turner, there's a true next level to his game? Like, there, there could be, but we saw Jalen Smith's next level. This man looks five times the player that he was in Phoenix. I know he wasn't getting the opportunity as much, but you touched on a few different things. One, he's 21 years old. Sure, he'll turn 22 soon. Doesn't have an injury history. He's rebounding like no other. And this man feels like he can fall into a certain role for the Pacers, where at this point, rightfully so, Miles Turner wants a bigger role. Since Jalen Smith's got here, he's putting up double-doubles left and right. He's averaging 13 and 8. He's been extremely efficient. He's shooting over four. It's about 42%. He's doing it on four attempts per game, which is you know, decent enough. So at this point, when you talk about injury history, money owed, and someone that could slide into whatever role you need, like Jalen Smith could come off the bench for us, wouldn't be a big issue. He could be in the starting lineup. We need him to. But I think that he's more of just a – there's more coming to his game where Turner we're, – we're still waiting to see if he would ever grow as a rebounder. We know he's a great shot blocker, three-point shooter. Alex, tell me if I'm wrong, but when we interview people, when they come on the show, this people outside of Pacer Nation feels that he's a much better three-point shooter than he actually is. Mm. He, he's a very talented three-point shooter, but and it's a small sample size. But Jalen Smith shooting 42%, it feels like this could be someone that at least could consistently shoot over 35% from three, if, if he's accurate. Yeah. Turner, we're starting to see his numbers dip to like 32, 33%, and it's on a bigger sample size. Yeah, and, and that's kind of why I'm like, I need to see more of Jalen Smith. Before I have I just, to. I got it. It's just, it's got to be, it's got to be a little bit more realistic of a, for me of a sample size to be able to compare the two. Because look, I get it. Jalen Smith's younger, he's less, you know, less injured probably a better shooter at this point in his career. But at the same time, you know, uh, Turner has had some really good stretches too, like Jalen Smith is going on where he shot around the same percentage. So, 
if you're being fair, you have to take a step back and, and look at it from that perspective. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a fun question because Jalen Smith has exceeded expectations. I will say this real quick, Bashi, before we go to our last question. The benefit of what the Pacers are doing with Jalen Smith and playing him like this, they don't have to play him at all, right, because of the whole situation. They want to try to keep his value low, that kind of thing. But here's the thing. If I'm another young prospect and I see what the Pacers are doing with this guy, giving him opportunities, the same for Dwayne, the same for Terry Taylor, I'm thinking to myself, hey, if I'm in a bad situation, I wouldn't mind going to that team because they're giving their players an opportunity to play. And I could see where some fans and the whole question back to Cam Reddish, that could be kind of intriguing for him just to be like, hey, they're allowing their players to play through their mistakes and giving them opportunities to grow. Now that might not be the case next year, but for a small sample size of this year, that's what the, that's what's happening. And I think it could be enticing to a certain degree for other young players across the league. But let's move on to our last question here, Fachi. This comes from our faithful listener and question sender ender, Jordan S underscore 33. He said, if there was one certain team where you think Brogdon could thrive, which team would that be? First came to mind, the Lakers. I feel like, honestly, the Lakers would be much better if they had Brogdon instead of Russ because I feel like you're getting someone that can distribute, someone who's a much better shooter. And then Russ is just far too erratic at times. He's unreliable, uh, you know, as a shooter. So I think that Brogdon would be really good. My second pick would be also the Knicks. We talked about how they're searching for a new point guard every single year. Well, I just feel like Brogdon's someone who could buy in defensively for Tibbs if he's even still there, but also is just someone you can count on when they were looking at Kemba and Derrick Rose. Plus, hey, if, if they got a thing for injured point guards, we got another one for him. <laughs> yeah, so I uh, the, the the team I think makes the most sense, and I kind of brought it up earlier, the New Orleans Pelicans. Mm-hmm. I think Malcolm next to CJ McCollum can make a lot of sense. You got Brandon Ingram, you got Zion, and you got JV. That's a pretty good five if they're healthy, right? Yep. If Zion's healthy, you got Brogdon healthy, you got JV doing what he does, you got CJ doing what he does. I think that that could be a really good starting five. They've got the draft picks. They can they can, they can send out for next year or potentially this year. I know they did make some trades this year with the, the Blazers, so those picks are semi-protected, whatever. But there are some opportunities there for the Pacers to get involved in that. I really like the idea of Brogdon with New Orleans. One, you get him out of the Eastern Conference. And two, you, you're able to basically figure out a way to maybe get a Devontae Graham would be probably returned in that trade at least. Um, I think he's a good backup point guard. I wouldn't want to start him, but you know, good backup point guard, play behind Tyrese, maybe fits Carlisle's system to a certain degree, uh, much better than DJ McConnell. And, you know, there's just players on that roster the Pacers could ask for back, you know, just the draft picks they have to me makes it more manageable because look, you talk about the Knicks and the Lakers, like I don't really like what they have to give back. So the Knicks have oh, yeah. way more to give back than the Lakers. So for me, if I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking more of what the Pacers can get in return. And that is why I like the Pelicans. Yeah, no, that, that, that's definitely a good point. Uh, I was just going fit-wise. Right, yeah, right. I mean, hey, look, we got to get something back in return for sure. So, great point. Yeah. All right, well, that ends part one. So, Fachi, tell the people where they can find us at the social media. All right, so you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at SettingThePace. You can find us on TikTok at SettingThePace. And if you're still hungry... And ready for this Pacers-Wizards game, say these two words. Let's go Pacers!